I wonder, could they just send around the tithes and offerings baskets? We're going to take that up now. Um, if the comm group can, we'll appreciate that. While that goes around, I know that is the most distracting box you've ever seen in your life. It's like this little, but I'm begging for your attention. I want to do a practical test with you. So I wonder if, if I had to describe and ask you right now, the picture in your mind, so we, this is a big one. We'll do, actually, we'll do it when the boxes are gone because then someone could get hurt. I was going to ask us to close our eyes. But what I want to first describe to you is the God that you know, our Father in heaven, Jesus himself, if you have to think about his life, who he was, what you've read about him in your Bible, what you've heard from others, what you know of him, I want to ask you this question. I wonder if right now if you could close your eyes for me. You're still looking at me, you're cheating. Close your eyes. And I would like you to picture in your mind what his face looks like. Gideon, close your eyes. Jesus, I want you to think of Jesus' face. What does he look like? You're not allowed to use the passion of the Christ or the chosen as a benchmark. I want your own picture of Jesus in your mind. What does he look like? The man who carried our sin, the man who whipped out the temple, the man who called the disciples, the one who did miracles, the one who drove out demons, the one who, Jesus, the one who we profess to believe in and love, what in your mind's eye does he, do you, does he look like to you? You can open your eyes. Serena, could you put that picture up? Did any of you have that facial expression when you pictured Jesus? Because strangely enough, most of us didn't. Most of us, when we think of Jesus, or we even think of the Father, we think of the stern, serious, intense, possibly even upset, or, but when you look at that picture of Jesus, what do you see in his face? Joy. Smile. Happiness. Do you know that Jesus is a man who lived a happy life? Do you know that in G Jesus was full of joy? Actually, they consider him to be, if, if as historical writers, when they look at what he wrote, and these are secular guys, they consider Jesus and his teachings to be extremely funny. There's even a book written, The Humor of Christ, because of how witty and how humorous he actually was and what he said and how he spoke and addressed people. But so often in our mind, what we picture is, we have this picture of Jesus being this disapproving, you've done something wrong, you need to do more, you need to be more, there's more. So this morning, I want to talk about, and I got, I had, I felt like the Lord give me half a preach, and I was like, this is kind of awkward, because it's going to suck if I only preach half a preach, I don't know what to do with the rest. Um, I'll maybe dance for like five minutes or something. And, and Nausea messages me on Saturday morning, and she gives me this incredible prophetic word just laid out with scriptures and points. And I was like, oh, there's the second half. Thank you, Lord. Like, and I didn't even have to like, write it out myself. You get delivered. So I was super stoked. But this morning, I want to talk about who are you being formed into? Who are you becoming? Because you become the one that you behold. So if you look at a disapproving, angry, hard-to-please God, that is the type of Christian that you could very easily become. Thank you. 
Who knows that there is a formula, clinical psychology, I am not, I didn't come up with it, I wish I did, I wish I was that smart, but there is, all the clinical secular psychologists in the world have come up with a formula for happiness, and happiness is H, and H equals set point genetic, which I will explain this in layman's terms because I had to Google it more myself, set point genetic plus conditions or internal decisions that you have made in your life, and uh, so circumstance, and the other thing is the things you choose to do. So in layman's terms, it says this. Happiness is made up, and this is the percentage they allocated, 50% of your life and the happiness and the joy that you carry, they say you get genetically. Huh? Totally. So that's why you'll find happier people, they say as you get old, it only, it only gets to an extreme. So happy young people become extremely happy old people. Grumpy young people become extremely grumpy old people. But 50% of your baseline of joy in your life is given to you by your parents. At this point, some of us are like, "Woo! thank you, Jesus. Others of us are like, damn you, mom. Thank you, daddy. I'm so happy because of you. The other 40% is made up of what we think and do. So who we choose to be is the other 40% of what makes up our joy. This is the crazy part. Do you know what makes up the last 10%? And I'm going to show you a study that they used to prove this. The last 10% of what determines a person's level of happiness is their circumstance of their life. But we spend 90% of our lives trying to fix the 10% that actually affects our joy in the hope that it's going to make us happier and more joyful. And so the study was, and it's quite a terrible study, they took lotto winners and car accident survivors who ended up as paraplegics. And they surveyed them and they studied over the, the, the pattern of their life and they took a whole bunch of them. And what they realized is in every single one of them, their baseline was this before. The lotto winners peaked. Wow, of course, I mean, hello. Who thinks the lotto, it, let's be honest, not that you played lotto last night and came this morning and feel dodgy, don't worry. Imagine you did get the winning numbers. Who of you feel like that would improve my joy levels? Be honest with me, please. Are you telling me 80% of you don't think 80 million rand would change the way you feel right now? You are lying. You are lying in church. How can you come to church and lie? 80 bar, James, slight improvement. Yeah, little tick, little. And so what they found is in all lotto winners, immediately after winning the lottery, wow, six to eight months, exactly where they were. On the flip side, car accident survivors who were perfectly fine and lived normal lives until the car accident and lost, became quadriplegics. Their joy level, wow, six to eight months, straight back to where they were before the accident. They say the only exception was in those cases 
the people who survived car accidents sometimes ended up a little bit more grateful for life. But in general, circumstance, 10% of what you think is what makes you sad or happy or miserable or angry or 10% of that is external. 90% of that is what's inside of you. And so the Bible would speak about how the Lord wants us to be joyful or we spoke about rejoice always or Jesus himself was a man who walked around filled with joy. People love to be around. Who loves to be around grumpy people? Christian. He's like, yes, of course I do. If you are close to Christian, that is an insult on you right now. Who loves to be around a miserable rain cloud? Nobody. Who loves to be around joyful, happy, loving, kind people? I do. Sam's like, I live with that. That's what she, that's me, eh, babe? All the time. All the time, three hours of one day, one month. But so often as believers, those who believe that Jesus is our salvation, Christians, we've given our lives to him, we've surrendered everything. I'm not talking about the world or those who don't know him. I'm talking about believers. So often we think that if we, what do we spend most of our time praying about? The 10%. We think, God, if you just fix my circumstance, if you just fix the, the mess that I'm in, if you just give me more money, if you just made me get less money, if you just healed my ailment, if you just took it away, if you just helped me with this job, if you just helped me immigrate, if you just gave me friends that I love, if you just gave me a spouse or a partner that I'm longing for, or if you just fix this external void in my life, then I will find joy and be happy. You're wrong. That is 10% of what is where joy comes from. 50% of what you've given from your parents, only Jesus can alter. Some people, for the rest of their life, will battle that their default in the morning is to wake up and be grumpy. That is genetics right there. Belinda, don't laugh, that's mean, he's right there. <laughs> Belinda told me, sometimes she wakes up grumpy, other times she lets him sleep in. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Who are you being formed into? Because if you want to be formed into somebody who is joyful and happy and carries the life of God in them, and when you're around people, and when you, you like, first of all, joyful people like to be around themselves. That's why most of us are introverts, just saying. I love spending time with me. <laughs> but when you are around someone like that, it does something inside of you. And it just, when you feel, I love, I love it. I, I told Sam, I naturally wake up joyful maybe, and I'm just being transparent with you. So please, be gentle. I naturally wake up really excited about life, like maybe two or three days a week. I can... Go for days at a time where I wake up and I just think of oh, all of the bad things, all of the things that I've got to get done. I get into like this functional mode and my mind is just busy. And, da, 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 da. and for so, so for so many of us, 50% of what we've been given as a baseline is something that every single day we're going to have to wake up and come against that. 
So this is going to be a great message, I promise, because Mozzie's half is going to tie in amazing. And so if you look at Jesus as the image, this is what the Bible says about us, and it's in Romans 8, verse 27 to 29. And you're going to hear about how God always wants to work. And I want you to hear that this morning. You are able. All the testimonies that we heard this morning was an incredible thing where God changed the 10%. I believe in a God who can change the 10%. He can give you that financial breakthrough. He can save you. He can heal you. He can do the miraculous. He can affect the 10%. But my goodness, there's better good news. He's got a solution for the 90% of your life that requires joy. Little amen, Declan. Thank you. Romans 8, verse 27. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and according to His purpose for Him, for them. But listen to this. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like, NIV uses a way better word, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That God knew you, He knew everything that it would require in your life to form you and mold you, and He wants to make you through everything to become more like Jesus, who's there with a smile on His face, not a frown. And how does He do that? And first of all, if, if some, I used to struggle when people spoke about, God wants to do a work in you. I was like, okay, well then do it. Okay, cool. You've all told me God wants to do this amazing thing. I'm just going to stand here. Okay, nothing happened. Now what? Obviously, he doesn't want to do it in me because he didn't do it because I'm waiting. And actually, to be conformed, to be formed into God's image actually requires something from us. And it's like a potter and clay, and that's the illustration that I want to use. How God, as the potter, wants to form us and mold us into the image of His Son. And so here, here's an example where the Lord says this to Isaiah about His own people. He says uh, to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, verse 1 to 6. And the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. So this is not my own illustration. I have stolen it from another guy in the Bible. And he said... Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. And so God, even as he's speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, God himself is referring to himself. He's saying, I want you to see your life is like a lump of clay, and I want to form you into something. But that process of me making you into the image of Jesus with a smile on his face, with a skip in his step, with friendship, with belonging, with a love for life. If you want him to form you into that image, you have to go through the processes that God wants to take you through as the potter does with the clay. Isaiah 64 verse 8, there's another illustration and he says, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay 
I just, I'm, I want to emphasize the clay and potter just roles quickly because our generation seems to be confused with roles. It's a very confusing thing to speak about at the moment. You know, we, we struggle to discern genders and roles. Those are, so this is, and I'm being serious. I'm not even being sarcastic. There is a role for God in this relationship and there is a role for us. And we so often want to take God's role and we want to form and shape and determine the course of our life. And I'm going to make myself who I am. And, and no, no, no. God is the potter. You are the clay. Your job is to stay on the wheel. Your job is to go through the wedging. Your job is to go into the furnace. Your job is to reflect what Jesus looked like. His job is to form you into how that looks. And so there's this thing, I just wanted to know if I used myself as an example of pottery, you would all laugh and walk out and this preacher would have no significance. So I had to do a lot of Googling around pottery because I know nothing. I've made one thing of pottery in my life and it was a little porcupine that you put toothpicks in and it failed. All my toothpicks I put into the furnace with it. And so I know nothing of pottery and I'm terrible at it and I, can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't make a mug if you paid me. So I did a lot of research. That's how it works. Google and YouTube. I'm a whiz kid there. And so there's this super important process in pottery where you work with clay. Do you know this? It's called wedging. Who's like, yeah, of course I know that. Wedging. Cool. So I can tell you what I want right now. So wedging is this. It's a process where they take new clay, they separate it, and now they want to work it. And so they mix it with water, and they work out the air bubbles inside the clay. And one the important caveat and note here, they use water to work out the air bubbles. So often in our life, isn't God the one who uses water being even circumstances and the the things that we go through, the things that we always want him to miraculously take away, God uses those to work out the things inside of us that would deform us and we wouldn't look like Jesus. But there's this incredible process with wedging. And so you use water and you use the clay and you mix it together and then you have to let the, the, the clay dry. Either sometimes they put it in a furnace real quickly and they bring it out or they leave it for like, X amount of hours. At this point, my Googling ran out of steam. I didn't want to go that far down pottery. And so you leave the clay out to dry. And this is the danger. If you do not let the clay dry enough, if you don't furnace it first or if you don't let it dry and you work with it, it's easier to work with. But if not all the moisture is outside of the clay, when you mold it and you put it into the furnace, clay becomes porous the more, the more you heat it. And as it becomes porous, the air bubbles can even get out. But the moisture gets trapped inside. And what happens is, your little pot that you make, if you put it in and there's moisture inside of it, it explodes into pieces everywhere and often damages everything that's inside of the furnace with it. It's quite incre incredible, eh? Do you know that that is the same process in our life that the potter takes us through that he takes the circumstance and so right now think of one circumstance in your life that is painful or difficult or that you're struggling with right now you don't have to say that loud, Jason I promise 
Just think of it. That one thing that you're asking God to take away. <laughs> that one thing that you're like, oh God, please stop this. We'll take this away. We'll make this easy. Now I want you to imagine that the potter wants to take that circumstance in your life and he wants to use it to work out the things inside of you that go, I can't stand this person. She drives me mad. I can't do this. I can't be under all this financial pressure. It makes me anxious. And he's like, yes, because I want to work the anxiety out of you. Because I want you to look my, my son, who Jesus, even though he knew what was coming, didn't have anxiety. He knew the death that he was facing, and he didn't have anxiety or disappointment. And so there is the things in our life that prevent us looking like this, the ones that give us the scowling face, the one where we come to church. And this morning, I, I, was, I find it so ironic because I watch when all these prophetic words come about, like, God wants to work out things in our life. And I just watch people. I watch all of you because I was drumming. That was me, the loud guy this morning. I just watch. And as soon as you start to say that, you can just check people like, oh. Because the second we know that there's stuff wrong, uh, uh, we struggle to get joyful in the moments that we know that we've messed up and we've, we've failed and fallen short. And we don't see the smiling Jesus when we feel like we've, do you know what? The faithfulness part of your relationship with God is the part that he carries. He's the one who's faithful to the unfaithful. Thank you, Jesus. That should put a smile on your face. The fact that when you get it wrong every single time, and you do get it wrong, and you will get it wrong, and you're going to get it wrong, and he will forgive, and he does forgive, and he will continue to forgive. And he wants to work those things out of us because he has got this incredible image, or the potter has this incredible piece that he would like to mold each and every one of us into. But we have to allow him to work in our lives. We have to stay on the wheel. It's so often at the wedging part, like the clay is not even being molded yet. It's just a difficult circumstance. We're like, I'm out, I'm done. I need prayer. And I'm not saying we don't pray for difficult circumstances. I'm not praying, but our prayer should look a little different. It's like Jesus even did this one. God, if you can, if you can, if it's in your will, could you take this from me? If there is another way, if there's any way that means I don't have to go through what I'm going to go through tomorrow, if there's any other way, can we do that way? And at that point, he realizes there's no other way. This is the way. Okay. Then not my will, but your will be done. Lord Jesus, no matter where I find myself this morning and what heart situation or what emotional state, can you heal me? Can you help me? Can you step in? And if you don't, can you use it to mold me into you? Can you help me to go through it? Can you help me to go through this thing coming out joyful on the other side? And you're like, yeah, that's rich to say. It is. It's smug to say when when we're talking about money, or what about when you're talking about a family member that's dying, a loved one passing away, a relationship that has so much bitterness and unforgiveness that you don't see a way forward, disappointment, despondency, financial ruin, 
in the most hopeless situations, he wants to mold you into Jesus. Stay on the wheel. I thought of this as, it's, this is my own little analogy on the illustration. But so often, he, you use water, you wedge the clay, and then you have to let it dry. And so often, that's actually that waiting period before you even become the thing that God wants to you. There's like this maturing that God takes you through. And a part of Nozzy's word, which I wanna, I'm going to read to us now, was that God wants to mature us. And he wants to make us into useful cups and pots. And he wants to make us into useful things in his kingdom. And he wants to form Jesus inside of us. It's like he loves you so much that he does have a purpose for you. He doesn't love you because he has a job for you to do. But it's out of that place of when you realize, oh my goodness, you not only saved me, you not only molded me, you not only shaped me, but you also have a job for me to do. It's like, that's the most incredible privilege. I don't have to, I have a purpose. There's a reason why Jesus loved you, died for you, gave his life for you, lay himself. And it's not to just sit and listen. He's called you to, to be something that would pour out. Be somebody who carries for others. We spoke about the last two weeks. We've just been hammering this point about love one another, love one another, love one another. Do you know what sometimes causes the most relational damage in the church and in people's lives? When you're going through a difficult circumstance, you're going through something unpleasant, you don't allow the maturing. You don't allow the drying out process. And you want to skip that and start to do things in the kingdom. You want to get up here and you want to be Michael because it's this Mark. You want, to, you want a position or you want a something and you don't allow the drying out process. And all that happens is that you have a spectacular explosion for all to see and you damage people around you. And the Lord loves you and those around you. That he does have a purpose for you to be a cup on a stage that will impact and and love people. And we're all broken. That's we're gonna get there. Even in these perfect jars and vases, it's like we have this potter who loves making broken things work. Because he takes a broken pot or a broken cup and he puts inside of it a treasure. And our job is to be formed into the image of Jesus, to be that one that walks around knowing that the treasure is what's inside of me. It's not who I am. It's not the fact that I'm an amazing person or I've got a bump in my step or I'm pleasant to be around. It's the fact that Jesus has saved me and he's done something inside of me. He's put a treasure inside of me. And when you, if anything of you can be encouraged by me, I want you to know it's got nothing to do with me. I suck as a human being. I do. It's true, Nick. I'm sorry. I will disappoint you at some point. Ask Sam. I'm joking. <laughs> Again. I wonder if we can put this scripture up. I'm going to read until this whole scripture is incredible. So let's see. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. 
we now have this shining light in our hearts. But we ourselves, where is the shining? Are we the shining light? We are the, no. We have the shining light in our hearts. And we are like fragile clay jars. Those who have allowed, we've, we've let ourselves go on the wheel. We've let God form us into something. But we're still fragile and clay. But we are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power comes from God. The fact that there's treasure in any one of us is not because we're amazing. It's because He's amazing. The fact that any of us have anything good to give to anybody is because of what Jesus has done inside of us. That should be the message of our life. I was a wretch, but now I'm saved. We are pressed, this is us as fragile clay jars, we are pressed down on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. I want to say that to you this morning. When he's wedging you, when you, are, when you feel like you cannot go through anymore, you are pressed down, but you are not crushed. We are perplexed, confused. Why God? Why not him? Why me? We are perplexed but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down. It would have been so cool if it said, but we get up again. That would have, yeah. <laughs> we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I think the, the, the passion would probably say, like, we get knocked down, we get up again, and like a little. There we go. Powerful. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Uh, sorry. I lost my line. Oh, there. Through, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Is, is Jesus, that picture we saw in the beginning, if you asked people, just based on my life, what do you think the constant facial expression of my God is. What picture would they draw? For Declan, probably a smile. For him it would be. I don't know, for me. If you had to ask your children, hey kids, if you look at my life, and my life had to represent how Jesus, how God felt about you, if you draw a face showing how God, how would it look? His dying body is made evident in our lives. So we live in the face of death, but this has result, resulted in eternal life. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist said when he said, I believed in God and so I spoke. So we know that God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present himself. And now this is the very encouraging part. All this is for your benefit the fact that you are being made into God's image is not because he wants a bunch of people that a certain way for... No, no, no. God wants you to be happy and joyful because he knows that you want to be happy and joyful. God wants you to walk around with this feeling of understanding that he is a God who when he looks at you, the first thing he says to his son is, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. That is your introduction as a believer. 
That is the constant voice. Uh, before he does anything else, that's where he starts. Is that what you hear for you? Sure, shouting today. Sorry. All this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great things, thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being made new every single day for our present troubles, even though they're big. Even though what you're facing is big. They won't last very long. Yet, they will produce for us a glory that outweighs them and will last forever. Even on a not extremely spiritual level, and you can, the older people get, you ask them this, ask someone with wisdom, gray hair, go and ask someone with wisdom, and they will all point you to the fact that every time they've gone, without hardship, there doesn't come victory. So now we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. This is how you stay on the wheel. When you wake up tomorrow morning and your financial crisis is in your face, or that relationship that you can't handle, or that circumstance that didn't change between Sunday and Monday, when you wake up and it looks at you in the face, this is how you overcome it. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that, we cannot, be, that cannot be seen. Actually, even though this feels like the end of the world for me, I've got to realize that this somehow is good for me, and that's how I've got to approach this. For the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Can I pray for us? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I want to ask that, would you even just open our eyes right now? The first thing I want to pray for is, Father, would we see you like we see that picture of Jesus with a smile on your face? And I want to pray for every single one of those who are sitting here this morning who don't see that in you, who don't see a loving, gracious, Lord, would you show yourself to them? Would you show them, your, would you show them how you feel about them? Would you show them your joy? Would you show them your life, your pleasure, your, your love for them? Jesus, help us to see you as you are. And Father, I pray as you are forming us into Jesus, for some of us this morning, would you help us to stay on the wheel when we just want to get up and get off and be done? Would you help us to stay on the wheel? For those of us that are lying, maturing, waiting to go in the oven, that it's such an important process that the moisture in our life gets drained out so that we don't cause damage to others, would you help us to see you in that process? Jesus says some of us are in the fire being with this stuff getting taken out of us that are in hardship right now, God, would you be with them in the furnace? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come and be with every single one of us. And you would bring your joy that, that surpasses understanding, your peace that, that goes beyond what we can understand, your, your joy that's our strength. Your, would you come and put that inside of us? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and do a, a work in the 90% of what determines happiness in our lives. That we wouldn't always cry out about the 10%, but we'd say, God, change me. God, help me. God, work in my life. God, change the way I see things. God, help me with my attitude. God, work your love inside of me. 
change me. Thank you for us in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.